There ain't no party like a quarantine party because a quarantine party don't stop. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> We're on day 9,302 of the quarantine, and all is well. <laughs> the covidiots have yet to breach our defenses. There's still access to water for us to wash our hands, and our toilet paper stocks remain high. Things are going to be just fine. Or are they? 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> That's my prediction, and I'm sticking to it. Hey, apparently, so we've got Instacart coming today for like a, a small delivery, because neither one of us are allowed to leave the house. Um, apparently toilet paper is back in stock at a lot of places. And now are they out of like meat or something or I don't know, probably beans yeah. or something. Yeah. We went, Kelly went yesterday and they were out of beef. Yeah. Out that's, of beef? yeah. that's been pretty regular. Yeah. I did a Instacart for, or a delivery for Kroger and I went like fucking balls out. I'm going to be <laughs> eating fancy. <laughs> I like shrimp and steak. <laughs> Alex is going to leave the podcast to open her own restaurant by the time no, this is I'm all gonna over. No, I'm going to run out of money, like, <laughs> next month. <laughs> Whatever, we're, all getting, house. we're all getting a stipend because uh, people that didn't want socialism suddenly want socialism. Right. Yeah. Here you go, everybody. Take some money. So what, what is it, $1,200 per adult? 1200 bucks. yeah, and then 500 bucks for a kid. But apparently we're not going to get any money for the kid this this time. Oh, we're not? Yeah, because it's because of last year's tax returns. Oh, that's true. Damn it. Well, no. Right. Have you filed your taxes for last year yet? Yeah. So the, the catch is if you've already done your taxes this year for last year's numbers, uh-huh. yeah. then they're using this tax return. If you uh, haven't okay. done them yet because they've extended the deadline, uh-huh. they're using the previous year's tax returns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We always do we our have, taxes super early. because We haven't done ours yet. So. Money. Oh, damn. Alex is getting kid money and Palmer's not. That's me dancing. R.I.P. Uh... Hey, everybody. As per usual, I'm Palmer, and I'm joined by my two wonderful hosts, Alex and Sam. And for the second... for the Virtually joined. Yeah, right. For the second week in a row, we're bringing you an episode recorded over Skype from the comfort of our own homes. Um, Discomfort. (laughs) I'd actually go so far as to say that, like, I'm more comfortable doing it this way, uh, because below the waist, you guys can't see that I'm not wearing any pants. Please don't stand. You don't have to wear (laughs) pants when we record. (laughs) Sam wears a robe. That's true. Not today. That's not today. Not today. I put on pants today. Yeah. See. See. Now I'm just like part of the the lounge kids club. I guess. So are you just like have no nothing on, or you have boxers on? Oh no, no, no. I got I got boxers on. Do you you have your panties just pulled up into your butt crack like that video I sent you yesterday? If only, if only, dude. That guy needs to teach me the way of the panties. Let me tell you. Uh, for, pe- for people that don't know, there was like a meme that Sam sent uh, yesterday to us that was just like this guy uh, dressed from from head down to about the waist in like military garb. And then he had nothing on but panties underneath that. So when he stands up, it's just like like those those bikini brief panties that are really, really wedged up in between the butt mm. cheeks. Hot. <laughs> uh it was it was a pretty wonderful meme uh but yeah we're aware that we had some issues 
with some random losses of dialogue and stuff from last week, but hopefully we've got those alleviated for this week. Um, we are looking into alternative for Skype. We're trying one of them this week, so maybe, assuming everything goes well, we'll be using that this week. If not, then, well, we're just going to have to keep trying different things until we get, get used to it. It took us, what? A hundred episodes to get good audio quality. <laughs> yeah, like doing 70. it face to face, it's going to take us only maybe fifty to get it right if we have to do it over <laughs> Skype. And we'll still have 20, 29 more years of quarantine. Yeah, exactly. We'll get it. We'll get it there. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you guys know once we get a hand on this. Actually, you'll probably know just because your ears will tell you once we get a handle on things. Um, just as a heads up, Sam and I are going to be doing some blatant cross promotion because our band Holden has a new record called Ursa Minor coming out in May. Uh, style is metal, specifically blending some post-hardcore, sludge and doom and progressive to make something that we think is kind of a unique take on the genre. Um, we've just debuted our first single called Sparks Between Teeth, and we received test pressings for our upcoming vinyl. So uh, we're going to be playing the single at the end of the cast and offering our listeners a chance to win one of our test pressings. If you're a fan of metal, you might want to stick around to the end and give it a listen. And if you dig the sound, you can find us on Bandcamp at uh, judgeholden.bandcamp.com. Holden is spelled H-O-L-D-E-N. Or on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash holdenbandofficial. We'll have a full list of our band social media and stuff in the podcast description too, so you can just click some links, make it easier for all you. the all of the test pressings are signed, and you'll get a free Corona cough on all of them. Yes, <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be great. Uh, how do you win a copy? It's easy. Just shoot us an email at cast at terrorandpodnito.com with the subject Holden contest and share your thoughts about the single. Um, we'll choose a winner at random and get in contact with you. The contest will be open until April 11th, so good luck, and we hope that you dig it. In the meantime, how are you guys doing? You maintaining your sanity, I hope? <laughs> I've, uh... <laughs> Sam coughs into the microphone. <laughs> so I might actually, I might actually have gotten this shit. I don't know. Um, both Mary and I have felt, like, fairly lousy and run down the last few days. Um, but it also made me start wondering, like, that weekend where I was legitimately, like, super fevery and felt real fluish and got the flu test and it came back negative and it lasted, like, on and off for four or five days. I'm really starting to wonder if I'm the one that spread this shit around my office, maybe? Yeah, once Ooh. you said you were coughing up blood, I wasn't going to say anything, but that definitely sounds like it. just a... happened yeah. twice. It just happened twice. And it was just a little oh, bit. Oh, just um, twice. That, oh, okay, just a little bit of blood <laughs> twice. That doesn't, that The doctor said it's nothing like to worry about, but I don't really believe him. Do you um, have, or did you have diarrhea? No. Are you sure? Judging by the fact that we still have toilet paper, yes. <laughs> Wait, is uh, that a symptom? Is diarrhea a symptom of this? So, supposedly, yeah. there, oh, there dude, was a Oh, dude, probably has the coroni. There was, <laughs> there was another report that came out that it said, apparently, like... Gastrointestinal yeah, issues. Yeah, is a symptom, but considering the amount of just, like nonsense information floating around i really don't know what to believe anymore they there was a, a doctor on npr this morning saying that that was okay true um, was aside true? from that aside from all of that i've really come like super close to like trying to figure out how long my cats would survive outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um since working from home has become my new nightmare mm. But I'm doing okay otherwise. Good. I've been learning how to make just like amazing meals for two. 
super fancy. What are the, what are the highlights that you've been cooking so far? Okay, so I made fried polenta cakes yesterday, and then on top of that, I had a rolled pork chop stuffed with cheese and damn, asparagus. <laughs> Yo, with a uh, like creamy pesto sauce. So do you do deliveries? Hey-o. Yeah, are you available on DoorDash? <laughs> no, yeah, you right? can come pick it up though. I'll leave it out front for you. <laughs> Ooh, that's yeah. what that's what Brenda and I have done. We've been trading food, but just leaving food on each other's doorsteps. Mm-hmm. So I've just I'm, by the time this is over, I'm gonna be like a morbidly obese, raging alcoholic with like a full arsenal of just awesome party dinner. <laughs> I just things to cook. <laughs> absolutely want to hang out with you even more as soon as this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm about. That's nice. Uh, I've been spending time a lot, or reading a lot more. Uh, been oh, look at you I know, expanding right? your like, mind. <laughs> I just, just, you know, just uh, well, it's really just because, like, so my baby has decided that he is going to to regress in his mm. sleeping, and yep. uh, so he wakes up pretty much every hour on the hour. Uh, and sometimes decides that it's time to like stay awake in the middle of the night. And so there's a lot of me just like holding him and trying to get him to go back to sleep. And as a result, mm-hmm. I have to do something quiet. So I've been reading a lot. There you go. Uh, what so are I, you reading now? I started reading The Exorcist. Okay. Um, I've never read it before. No. And I got to say, it's a fucking good book. <laughs> All right. Um, it offers a lot of additional insight in the film. Um, mm. there's like a handful of things that I've always kind of been confused about in the movie itself. I mean, mainly revolving around like the investigation of like, uh, the death of the, the film director of Chris's mm-hmm. film director in the movie. And then, uh, father Karras's involvement with psychology and the occult. They go into that a lot more in the book. Uh, and the investigation, the whole investigation having to do with that director's death is like a major subplot of the book. Whereas in the movie, they just kind of like it happens and then they kind of just like glance over it. And then there's like a couple conversations with a detective and there's nothing else. Uh, so there's plenty of that in in the book itself, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and a lot of the stuff that happens in that version that they released in like the what was it like 2000? Like what do they call it? The version you've never seen before or something? Um mm-hmm. It delves into the stuff that happens in that version a lot deeper. Um, and I'm genuinely surprised by how much I haven't been able to put it down. Even though, like, I generally know what's coming next, it's still a really, really compelling take on the whole thing. Um, and then Joe Willie sent us a new <laughs> manuscript to check out. Um, he's in Al- Alaska right now. <laughs> cool. That's for, fucking badass. Yeah, for his final mil- military stint, and he gave us a couple, uh, or a couple of weeks, actually, almost like a month ago. He asked me to to dig into this manuscript that he's writing now and give him an opinion on it. Um, it's not a full length like his last book, Blood in the Woods, but it's like it's like a novella, right? It's like a, mm-hmm. I think it's like eighty five pages or something like that. I'm about a third of the way through, um, and it's called Hot Summer Savior. Follows the story of Kurt, who's a local loudmouth and troublemaker, as he snaps and takes his former wife on a journey through hell. Um, it's it's good so far. I'm I'm holding my final thoughts about it until I'm finished, because um, I'm only yeah, like I said, about a fourth of the way, maybe a third of the way through. Um, but hopefully, I'll have it wrapped up by next week. We can talk about it a little bit more on the podcast and. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool to have somebody who's who's a published author ask for our our opinion on what he's got coming down the pipeline. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and then in addition, I told you guys about this. I bought Veronica, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah. I watched that, and it's uh, for those that that you know have have not been aware. It's like Glenn Danzig's weird foray into filmmaking. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Talks. It, it, it's a film that starts off living up to the hype of being the horror version of the room. Uh, it starts off very much in that vein, but man, does it devolve into just straight trash, dude. Like it's not even really like enjoyable. Like the second story is just a ripoff of eyes without a face. And the third story is just like absolute garbage, like bonkers garbage. Um, Mm, not like bad garbage, but like actual garbage. Actually trash. (laughs) Fitting Uh, for Glenn Danzig. Yeah. Uh, Mm. so my biggest problem with the film is the direction. There are literally scenes where it's obvious that Danzig has absolutely no idea how to end the scene. And just throws a fade out on and lingers on the subject. And it, it's obvious that he hasn't given these subjects any direction as to like how they're supposed to end this scene. Cause they just sit there awkwardly and, and, and unsure of what they're supposed to do until the fade finishes. And it's funny at certain points and extremely cringy at other points. Yeah. And, and please know that I'm not exaggerating when I say he literally ends every scene this way. <laughs> with a fade and a long linger on the subject <laughs> it's it's literally every scene i don't know man it sounds it had, so good it's, it it's had like so school. much potential um and it ended up crashing and burning in the worst of ways there's some great nudity though and if you've ever wanted to see eye tits mm-hmm. is that your like chance tits that have eyes yes. or eyes, eyes that are tits the eyes that have like so the areola is still there but the nipple itself is eyes is an eyeball yeah huh mm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to watch the whole movie to see that. Maybe just send me like a clip. <laughs> it's in the first one. It's in the, it's in the good one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you get to see this within the first half so it's, hour. It's Honestly, you can just turn it there. off after the first half hour. <laughs> That's the way I stand with it. Um, <laughs> the other one we discussed about a year ago, Empathy Incorporated. Um, I really want to see this. Yeah, it's on Shudder now. Um, I'm so excited for that. I'm going to watch that tonight. The movie f- explores a man named Joel who's hit rock bottom and starts developing a new type of VR called XVR. And it's essentially a way for people to step in the shoes of somebody who's less fortunate than them and get a sem- sense of empathy, right? So uh, it's taking the whole saying of walk a mile in, in their shoes to new heights, basically. Um, it's great if you don't attempt to poke holes in it because there are tons of holes in it. Uh, it's a huge homage to early Darren Aronofsky and uh, Remy, Remy Bellevue. And uh, I don't know, the drama and suspense gets supercharged towards the end. It's actually pretty, it's a good, really, really good buildup. Um, it's free on shutter. And I don't think anybody should miss out on this one. Really enjoyed it for what it was. Just suspend your disbelief and you'll be good. Is the X for extreme? Extreme. I can't. Extreme. Re- I can't Extreme. remember. I can't Extreme remember. virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> I. 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 Yes. Why not? We'll let you have it. We'll let you have it. Uh, I feel like that sounds like we're making fun of people with lisps. We are not. It is from Alaskan Bush people. <laughs> yes. A show that I really need to go back and watch now that I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> What about bushes? Is that what you just said? Did you say it was Australian bush people? Is that what you were saying? Alaskan bush people. Alaskan bush people. people. The guy who climbs the trees and he goes, everything's very extreme. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole fucking thing, okay? (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, you guys ready to jump into the laundry list of fucking horror headlines we have? No. No? I'm just kidding. Oh, we're going to do it anyways. 
All right. The horror headlines. What do we got this week? We got uh, a whole bunch of new films, which is good. Uh, Fangoria's upcoming flick, Porno, has a new trailer. Uh, Kiola Rossella's horror comedy flick, Porno, is a film about unwitting co-eds working at a movie theater in the 90s who accidentally release a sex demon. It has a very not-safe-for-work trailer. Uh, But it's okay because nobody's actually in work right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that got released earlier this week. The trailer actually looks like a lot of fun, and it didn't seem to give away too much aside from the fact that the movie will be chock full of gratuitous nudity and gore. Um, considering Fangoria's catalog of films so far, which include the much-talked-about Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, and the recently well-received VS- VFW, uh, this one seems to fit right alongside the rest of them. The cast includes Evan Daves, Larry Saperstein, Jillian Mueller, uh, Glenn Sott, Stott, and, well, I don't know, three or four others. Um, the film will be out May 8th on VOD and July 14th on Blu-ray, assuming the world hasn't ended. <laughs> I like all things that take place in 90s movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Porno demons. I mean, I don't know. It uh, just sounds like a good time to me. Absolutely. Uh, I think all trailers from now on should end with a random shot of a penis. Of a dick. <laughs> Just here, here. <laughs> it's also set to appear on Shudder later this year. Um, Hell yeah. Nick Cage's resurgence has no end in sight. A neon, the distribution powerhouse behind The Lodge, Parasite, and more, has recently acquired the uh, U.S. rights to Nick Cage's new revenge thriller simply titled Pig. Uh, the film follows Cage as a reclusive truffle hunter in Oregon whose prize-winning hunting pig is kidnapped, forcing him to return to his old stomping grounds in Portland to confront his past, which sounds oh just sounds absolutely amazing. bad. He just becomes John Wick over a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I, a truffle hunting pig, okay? Those are worth a lot of money. Yeah, yeah I equate this exactly to, to the first time that somebody told me the premise behind John Wick, me just being like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me he goes on a murderous rampage because he's, he had his dog killed? I mean, yeah. that's exactly the same reaction that I have with this. <laughs> uh, the film also stars Alex Wolf with two Fs from Hereditary fame. And uh, we'll let you know as more details are released. This one sounds like it'll be a fun one. Dude, I'm so excited. Yeah, I cannot, it sounds I literally bonkers. cannot wait. Uh, the next film on this list seems Nuns. Dumb, but I'm into Nuns and Felissa Rose, so fuck it. We're talking about it. A film called A Nun's Curse is a B-loop movie flick that follows a group of friends on a weekend trip that are forced to seek shelter in an abandoned prison where a nun <laughs> named Sister Monday has been assigned, or had once been assigned. Uh, while assigned at the prison, she was suspected of killing the inmates before she mysteriously disappeared. This lucky group is about to find out the truth behind the mystery and what horrors it might entail the movie star so on a scale of one to ten palmer how hot is this nun oh uh, it's, it's well i mean like a three, like a three? <laughs> she's got with them big gouging makeup. eyeballs with or without the poster makeup, looks exactly like the poster from the nun yes yes it's very very clearly a ripoff <laughs> because apparently we're still getting ripoffs of the nun two years after that movie came out but but you know it is what it is. The movie stars Damien Maffei, uh, Erica Edwards, Christy Ray, Gunnar Willis, and many more. Um, it's due out on digital and DVD May 12th. We've got some announced physical releases on their way as well. VFW, the aforementioned Fangoria hit, is getting a VHS release from Broke Horror Fan. This promises to be a very special release for collectors. Um, 
It's been even cropped from its original aspect ratio into glorious four by three. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very limited edition, and it goes on sale this Tuesday, March thirty first at twelve p.m. You can get it over at WitterEntertainment.com. Uh, one of our nods for the year's best is getting a pl- proper Blu-ray steelbook release in May. Uh, the film, the hit film Tigers Are Not Afraid has become a shutter staple at this point, but we acknowledge that it's, well, you know, not everybody's a subscriber. If you're not a cool kid, you don't subscribe to Shutter. I don't know what to tell you. Um, the special edition Blu-ray and DVD is going to be released on May 5th and contains a ton of bonus features that make this a must-buy for fans of the film. The features include a 43-minute behind-the-scenes look at the making of the film, director's commentary, casting sessions, deleted scenes, photo galleries, and more. The Steelbook also includes a 63-minute interview with director, <laughs> director Issa Lopez and Guillermo del Toro for some weird fucking reason. Um, I think he produced it, maybe. Maybe that's why mm. he's tied to it. Um, and then Screen Factory... Like- Hmm? I like buying a movie and having it come with a second movie. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Uh, Scream Factory is getting ready to release a special edition, uh, a remastered transfer of the 2001 black exploitation film Bones. Love it or hate it? Personally, I love it. Um, the movie has been rediscovered by the horror community over the past few years, and it's finally getting its time in the spotlight once again, thanks to Scream Factory. The special features are numerous, and some of them actually seem pretty awesome. There's audio commentary with Snoop Dogg, which alone seems like the price worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. inter- interviews, yeah, <laughs> interviews with the director, Ernest Dickerson, screenwriter uh, Adam Simon, director of photography, Flavio Labiano, and special effects artist Tony Gardner. Uh, there's a Digging Up Bones minifilm. Urban Gothic, which is a documentary about Bones and the influences it had. Uh, 25 minutes of deleted scenes, music videos, a theatrical press kit, trailers, and a ton more. Uh, The film's due out March 31st, and you can bet your ass I'm going to be scooping this one up. Um, Sam, what do you think of the uh, special feature titles? I think Urban Gothic is awesome. Uh I think that's a great one. I like digging up the bones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, the, like, take the time. Be creative. Mm-hmm. It really makes. Well, Scream Factory always. Scream Factory always does it, dude. They're they're pretty good with those those special titles for these things. You right. Um, streaming news. Here we go. There's a lot of it. Shutter. Shutter happens to be the focal point for this for this week's streaming news. Uh, Shutter's bringing out the big guns <clears> this <throat> April, calling this their halfway to Halloween month, with which it just doesn't make any sense to me. Because shouldn't that be May? Halfway to Halloween would be no, May, six, wouldn't it? No, six months from the last Halloween. Oh. oh. <laughs> Sam, you're so smart. Yeah. yeah. I'm dumb. That's my contribution right. today. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> There's a ton of awesome stuff coming to Shutter in April, and we've collected some of the highlights for you. Cursed Films, which this actually sounds fucking awesome. It's a new show from Shutter that takes a deep dive into the history of some of horror's most infamous films and the supposed curses that plagued them everything Mm. from the exorcist to the crow will be featured in the show's first season this honestly looks like so much fun for fans of movie culture and history um the first eight films of the Friday the 13th collection will be up on Shutter. Let me just start by saying this. You fuckers have no excuse now. Just watch them. They're fun. Is he talking, is he talking to us? <laughs> yes. I think he is. I think he's are specifically we the, referencing. We are yes. the fuckers. Are we the fuckers? Yes. We are the fuckers. You are the fuckers. You are the ones who are the fuckers. I'm just going to keep watching Tiger King literally oh, over God. and over and over and over again. Are you going to host a uh, six-year-long podcast about Tiger King? 
Uh, you could. You could. <laughs> Analyzing a 15-minute segment every week. Uh, Absolutely. Make it five. <laughs> yeah, right. Collect. So this collects all of Jason's antics from when he was just a wee lad with his mother all the way through the murderous adventures in Manhattan. Jason Voorhees right. slashes, gashes, and otherwise mutilates his way into the hearts of Americans everywhere. Uh, couple this with what looks like a totally epic six-hour fucking documentary <laughs> called Crystal Lake Memories and Friday the 13th Fiends Like Myself are in for a great time. I know I just marathoned these films like a few months back, but I, I feel like it's just... It's time again. It's quarantine. It's going to be on shutter. It's just... I think it's ready. I think it's time for me to just indulge once again. We should find out a way so we can all watch it at the same time via live stream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, shutter, shutter needs to do Shutter Party like Netflix did. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, they, they do. They do have that. their own Discord. Okay. Yeah, they uh they post like uh timestamps and stuff, and like when mm. what times they're going to be starting things, and then like hundreds of people like go into the Discord channel and all just shoot the shit about the movie. Just... Am I going to have to learn new things? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. It's fun, honestly. Discord's not that complicated. Um, all right. So then, I can not... only think about recipes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a Discord for people sharing recipes. I wouldn't be surprised. <gasps> Uh, newly <laughs> added movies are <laughs> are including uh, um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, uh, Absentia, which is pretty much the only Mike Flanagan movie I've never seen. Um, we yeah. are what we are. Voice from the Stone and Siren. Uh, then, in addition, this one I'm also super excited about: Wolf Creek season two. I have no idea why it took Shutter this long to acquire this. It's been out for mm-hmm. like a couple of years now, but uh, it's finally on Shutter, so I'm finally going to wa- watch it. The first season was way better than it had any right being, so I'm really looking forward to this season. Um, and then the biggest news of them all: the return of the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on April 24th. Justin's in for my birthday! Yay! Um, Shutter has its ebbs and flows, but the times that they crank out the jams make it uh, totally worth it for, I guess, the occasional lulls in content that they have on other months. It's a good time to be a horror fan, though, and to be a quarantined horror fan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got some video game news. Uh, Last week, we read off some juicy rumors that Konami was in talks with Sony to sell the Silent Hill IP, which meant that we could be in store for a Resident Evil-style remake and reboot of the franchise as a whole, with Hideo Kojima taking the reins again before his falling out with Konami. It was all a pipe dream, apparently. Representatives from the Konami USPR have squashed the rumors as simply not true. Uh, We're aware of all the rumors and reports, but can confirm that they are not true. I know it's not the answer your fans may not want to hear. You're fucking right. That's not the answer (laughs) (laughs) that fans want to hear. (laughs) This is basically turning into the Friday the 13th video game, stuck in perpetual limbo until some asshats decide to release their rights to appease the fans. Asshats? Yeah, Yeah, but there's no lawsuit going on, though. Do you think it's ever actually going to happen? I don't. I keep hoping. I keep hoping. I really will. At this point, I don't want it to be Konami. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I really don't want it to be Konami to to do it anymore. They've just like destroyed everything they've touched, and it's it's not it's not a good time. Mm. Um, and then next up, Killing Floor Two, a game we love here internally at the podcast, getting another massive free update with some amazing looking content titled Neon Nightmares. The update brings a brand new map to the game called Biolapse. In addition, it's bringing a new weapon called the HRG Incendiary Rifle and a compound bow, which are going to the Firebug and Sharpshooter classes, respectively. The update is available now on all consoles and PC. I did um, read that the compound bow specifically, though, is uh, purchase only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know I'll probably jump in 
on it at some point over the weekend on PC. So if any fans of the cast on the game want to join in on Carnage, feel free to shoot us a message. Um, next up, continuing our Corona cancellations. <laughs> I think we're at the point where we need a specific drop just for that. For Corona cancellations? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just repurpose an actual just... Corona commercial where instead of find your beach, it's find your couch? <laughs> it's just I choose the one with Tony Romo reading, reading out the Corona stuff and just like coughing occasionally. Uh, so we told you we'd keep you apprised of any uh, additional delays and cancellations brought forth due to old Corona. And uh, sure enough, there are plenty more to announce. First up, The Walking Dead season 10 finale has been delayed. AMC uh. sent out a statement regarding the delay, right? Current events have unfortunately made it impossible to complete post-production of The Walking Dead season 10 finale. So the current season will end with its 15th episode on Sunday, April 5th. The planned finale will appear as a special episode later in the year. No updates on exactly when that'll happen, and we imagine there won't be any until Coroni releases its wheezing grasp on the world. Next. A24 has pulled its upcoming release of St. Maud from theaters, scheduled to be released on April 10th. It makes sense that this film's been pulled. No new release date has been announced. Kid-friendly spooks are also taking a hit as well. The upcoming reboot of the Scooby-Doo franchise, aptly titled Scoob, has been canceled. Uh, the film was set to release on the big screen on May 15th, but it's been removed from the block. Also, no new date. James Wan's new horror flick, Malignant, has also been pushed back. The movie uh, is, ha well, I guess the move is happening to make room for Wonder Woman 1984, which initially had a June release date, but has but also been pushed back due to Coroni. Um, the theaters and studios, I guess, are planning for things to return to normal by August, because it seems like that's when things are getting pushed into now. But mm -hmm. time will tell. Um, there's no re new release date for Malignant at this time. Finally, Supernatural's final season has been put on forced hiatus. The current 15th season. I can't believe that shows in 15 fucking seasons. <laughs> yep. um, it, it still has seven episodes to go, but all seven of those episodes are being delayed for the time being. Apparently, the episodes have been filmed, but they cannot be finished because post-production, sound design, and special effects are all off work until Caroni decides to go away. There's no word on when production will resume or when these episodes will air. People are so disappointed about that. I'm sure they are, dude. The pe people who like this show are fucking, like, rabid They're fans rabid of the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've only seen like a handful of episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, because seen... Kelly's into it. Uh, yeah. But she waits for them to become available on streaming. Mm -hmm. So, like, she doesn't care about any of this. She just wants to watch it when it's all done. But I've seen a few. I've, it seems I, interesting. I've seen a few of them back from like when I was living with Justin because he's really into the show. Um, it doesn't surprise me. It's, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I watch it. It's I a like fun it. show. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. There's some yeah, weird, not, there's I didn't some mean that negatively. Episodes, it just but... doesn't surprise me that Justin's into it. Yeah. Oh, it seems no, like no. something that would be doesn't right doesn't surprise Justin's me that out. your wife's into it either. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, she's the perfect target audience. Two, two hunky men doing crazy stuff with, with, I don't know, fantasy creatures. Of course she's into it. All right, Sam, go for it. So this week we only got one thing. Uh, it's straight to DVD from Lionsgate Home Entertainment on the 24th. It's called Hunter's Moon. When, <laughs> when their parents leave town, three teenage girls decide to throw a party in their new country home. But when a gang of dangerous local boys 
With sinister intentions turn up, the women are faced to, forced to not only defend themselves from the evil inside of the house, but an unseen bloodthirsty predator that is hunting them one by one outside of the house. Oh, no. It's called Hunter's Moan? Hunter's Moon. Oh, moon. I was like, I hate that word moan. But Why do you hate fine. the word moan? What's wrong with the word moan? I don't know. I feel like the way some people feel about moist, I feel about the word mo- mo- moan. <laughs> moan, okay. Moan. <laughs> oh, she moaned know. so just, loud. I just don't like it. All right. Fair enough. Shit. Too many vowels. Why do people have so many problems with the words in the English language? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Moan. I have, I have a friend who's like, like really offended when anybody uses the word cunt. Oh, really? Like genuinely fucking offended by that. I know quite a few people like that. You can say like any other curse word in your entire repertoire, but as soon Mm -hmm. as you say cunt, she's getting up and walking out of the room. Like, it's pretty funny. I'm bringing that stateside. I feel like every other country gets to liberally use the word cunt. Yeah, right? Like Australia, dude. It's just like, hey, cunt. (laughs) Oi, oi, cunt. Oi. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I feel like cunt should be just a well-accepted thing. I don't know why it's so offensive mm-hmm. over here, but I guess it's... You know, because we're, we're so repressed on everything. Everything here is offensive. It's, mm. it's true. It's true. All right, you guys ready to do a main event? Yes. All right, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. On to this week's main event. Sam? Yes. We're gonna we're gonna do it this. It's a little weird doing it all broken up like this, but Quentin Tarantino has his foot fetish thing show up early and often. Stuntman Mike. Well, what is the party. movie? Oh, we're talking about Death Proof there you 2007. Go. There you go. <laughs> I was getting there. In the notes, it literally there. says, Sam, to introduce. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at my notes and not the, the master file. Oh, okay. uh, so yeah, Death Proof 2007. We've got stuntman Mike, who likes to party, but strangely, he doesn't like to do his own stunts. And aside from that, Quentin Tarantino takes his dialogue writing to a new level by taking most of the dialogue out and replacing it with the best car chase of the 21st century. Please. Try hiding so one of these hunks of metal in your ass. <laughs> just try tapping, like, just, oh, ooh, I'm going to tap that ass. <laughs> tap that ass. Oh, best, best. Uh, this is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, it stars Kurt Russell as stuntman Mike McKay, Zoe Bell as herself, Rosario Dawson as Abernathy Ross, Vanessa Fralito as Arlene slash Butterfly, Sydney Tamia Portier as Jungle Julia Lukai, Tracy Toms as Kim Mathis, Rose McGowan as Pam, Jordan Ladd as Shanna, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as uh, Lee Montgomery, Quentin Tarantino as Warren, Marcy Harriel as Marcy, Eli Roth as Dov. Michael Parks as Texas Ranger Earl McGraw and James Parks Randy or er, Ranger Edgar McGraw. Um, I also want to note real quick: this is the only movie that Quentin Tarantino has also filmed. Yeah, he's got uh, all like the the camera credits for this one too. Yeah, is, I mean it's very obvious. I think at points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Death Proof is uh. 
Quentin Tarantino's fifth film, but the first film we've ever discussed of his on the podcast. Honestly, that's with good reason, though. He's definitely a person that makes genre films, ones especially appealing to people that tend to like horror films. But nothing in his repertoire, aside from this, really makes the cut if you're more focused on horror. So... When Alex and Sam decided to give me a choice for this month's theme, I left the chance to talk about this one. Death Proof was the result of Tarantino's involvement with a horror scene in the mid-2000s. So uh, people might remember that he produced Hostel, so he got buddy-buddy with Eli Roth. Uh, he had starred in From Dust Till Dawn a couple of years earlier. Uh, he, was, he was really dipping his toes in more of the horror, uh, I guess, environment at this point in his career. Um, in collaboration with Robert Rodriguez, he decided to come up with this grindhouse thing. Well, they both came up with this grindhouse thing. It was a mostly satirical attempt to create the experience of a grindhouse movie theater for modern audiences. Honestly, this is actually the thing that kind of introduced me to the concept. Uh, mm. I had seen plenty of grindhouse movies myself in passing growing up as a horror fan in my youth, but the concept of like a grindhouse was formed to me, like going to the theater and this kind of like environment and having theaters that pretty much solely focused on showing these kinds of films uh, was something that was totally new to me. So this whole thing was, was a lot of fun for me to experience in theaters for the first time. Um, viewers that saw this as presented in American theaters, at least were treated to a double feature of Robert Rodriguez's over the top zombie schlock flick planet terror and Tarantino's film death proof complete with hilarious trailers that almost stole the spotlight away from the films themselves. Uh, that's where we were introduced to machete, right? Yeah. Uh, well, he was also in, um, that kids series of kids films that he did, Spy Kids. <laughs> yeah, he's oh, he's okay. the uncle of one of them in in Spy Kids. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> so Machete's been in kids films, ladies and gentlemen. Let's let's never forget that. Uh, so, uh, anyways, they came up with this 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 idea. They uh, in America at least the grindhouse concept was was pitched together so we had we had the trailers with with eli roth directing thanksgiving rob zombie as uh directing werewolf women of the ss edgar wright doing don't do you guys remember that don't trailer that shit was hilarious mm. uh no what don't the don't trailer you should watch it after after yeah, this it's right. so okay. funny it's so fucking funny <laughs> if you're thinking of move, seeing this movie don't oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh they proved to be the perfect complement to the double feature they also had like commercials for like restaurants just like fake restaurants that were made up and all sorts of like weird weird shit uh in between it was just it was really great uh so now that we've set the stage for listeners who didn't experience this one in theaters and reminded the people uh who did just how awesome the whole thing was let's discuss how the film itself got started the story for death proof developed because tarantino's intense fascination with stunt people um how they would do kind of these these death-proof cars in order to survive high-speed crashes and collisions. He wanted to take this fascination of his and use it as a structure for a slasher film. Uh, in an interview with Rolling Stone about the film, he stated, I realized I couldn't do a straight slasher film because, with the exception of women in prison films, there is no other genre quite as rigid. He's definitely right about that. Uh, and if you break that up, you aren't really doing it anymore. It's inorganic. So I realized, let me take the structure of a slasher film and just do what I do. My version is going to be fucked up and disjointed, but it's seemingly used as the structure of a slasher film, hopefully against you. Um, what do you guys think? It's, do you guys think that he did that successfully? 
it sticks to the slasher tropes really well, actually. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the movie's broken out into the two sections, and the first half of it, um, you've got Shanna, Arlene, and Julia, who uh, all end up dying. And uh, if you look at the, you know, the standard tropes, you've got Arlene, who's talking about all the sex she's having with a guy, right. uh, or all the things she's doing short of actual actually having sex with a guy. Um, Julia's regularly, like, really just kind of shitty to everybody and takes way too much pride in herself. Um, well, she's also the really promiscuous one, right? Like, yeah, she's the and one who's to into the, the point where, like, she sets, sets Arlene, Arlene up to, yeah, and she sets Arlene up to give somebody, some random person, a lap dance on her radio show, right? Um, and they're all on their way to a secluded place, even though they don't actually get there. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> that's true. Um, whereas, like, the, the second half, um, all of the women are in, like, stable relationships that are, like, and all the, pretty much all oh, they talk all about is fairly one, PG. Right? Yeah. Um, they don't do, they don't do any drugs, whereas, you know, the, the first group, the first thing that they're really out and about looking for is at least weed, if not more, and to the point where they get, uh, there's that conversation where they don't want to rely on somebody else because then they think they're going to owe them shit. Yeah. Well, the first group of girls, too, are out to go on vacation, whereas the second group of girls are for work. Yeah. So they're the more responsible. Well, no, they're, the they're taking a break from work, right? This is their vacation Right, but they still work. have been working. Right, yeah, right. I mean, they've, they've got three days. Right. They're, they're all off for three days at the same time for the first time ever. But do we think that he uses this, like, uh, against us? I mean, no, because... It plays out the way it would in any other slasher movie for them. I, I, I don't think, think he's like. I, think I don't think does. he's subverting it. I think it does because uh, uh, they turn they turn the slasher into the victim at the end, right? Like, but like actually, like really make they fucking chase his ass down. He's totally helpless. Whereas in most slasher films, the slasher is never totally helpless. Like eventually, the final girl will like bring oh, him down, yeah. but. Yeah. But by the end of this, <laughs> Kurt Russell is like literally begging and screaming, like, please don't do this. Blah, blah. He's, he's, he's shot crying. One arm. He's broken his other arm. Yeah, he's yeah. like sobbing at the top of his lungs. And you don't feel an ounce of remorse for this asshole. No, but... I actually, every time I watch this movie, that last sequence where he's like, the, the last car chase, even up, even before he like flips his car and you like really hear him wailing. Um, mm-hmm. I can't help but fucking laugh. Oh, at dude, it. it's so funny whenever you whenever you hear that high pitched scream, <laughs> yeah, coming from the yeah. crash car. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so in that way, I, I think, think it up does. until the last scene, or like you know, the last <laughs> scene, I think that it pretty much follows the slasher trip. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I just think he, I think he does successfully turn it on its head a little bit towards the end. Um, no. While preparing the film, Tarantino shot the movie around to the likes of John Travolta, Willem Dafoe, John Malkovich, Mickey Rourke, Ron Perlman, and Sylvester Stallone all to play the role of the infamous stuntman Mike. Could you imagine? I also heard Ving Rhames was offered this role, too. Oh, was he? Who? Ving Rhames. Oh, Oh, Ving Rhames (laughs) would have been really good in this role, to be honest. Holy shit, could you imagine? But can you imagine, like, any of these people, but specifically the ones that jumped out to me were Ron Perlman and Sylvester Stallone. Could you imagine either of them in this fucking role? (laughs) Like Ron I Perlman. could see Ron Perlman in this yeah. role. I couldn't see Sylvester Stallone. No, but Ron Perlman for the, sure. The yeah, ones, the, the two that really throw me off are John Travolta and John Malkovich. 
John Travolta. Mm. I think honestly, like if John Travolta would have done like the fanatic esque <laughs> acting while playing Mike in this, like that would have been fucking great. I would have really enjoyed seeing that. <laughs> that would have been something. But I think also Willem Dafoe would have made this a very interesting film. It would have made it. He would have made it an entirely different character. Like even yeah. with yeah. the same dialogue and everything, just just the way that Willem Dafoe acts and looks, he would have made it an entirely different character. Yeah. Like I mm-hmm. think I think Mickey Rourke and Ron Perlman could have done it pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. 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 It's interesting just thinking about those possibilities. But none of them were available for various reasons. Uh, it seems like a large majority of them had scheduling conflicts uh, or prior commitments. Um, yeah. The film itself takes place in two parts. Part A takes place in Austin, Texas, and follows one particular set of women. Part B takes place in Lebanon, Tennessee. Aside from the two distinct groups of women and locations, there are a number of visual differences between the two parts as well. The first part is intentionally grainy, with post-production teams going so far as to purposefully damage the film, so it had more, more a more genuine grindhouse aesthetic to it, and was even shipped with poor packaging so it would arrive at the movie theaters even more damaged and worn down. The result was so effective that until Sidney Poitier's character, Julia, pulls out her cell phone, the whole first half of the film actually feels like a 70s era period piece um because like it always throws me for a loop whenever i'm watching this movie just because when she does pull out her cell phone it feels a lot like uh um that scene in it follows where suddenly that character just pulls out her fucking make her compact and her it's clam. like it's like a fucking whole like electronic device yeah. yeah it's just one of those like sudden period there's sudden things that just like makes you really question the time period that this is supposed to be taking place in um did they have billboards in the 70s? I'm sure they yeah, did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the Marlboro Man? Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, so the first part also includes a lot more intentional poor editing, including a poorly spliced title card, sudden jump cuts, and tons more. Sam will go into a little bit more detail about this as we get into the film synopsis. Um, the second part has almost none of this and feels decidedly more modern. Um, but I think we've rambled enough in terms of introduction. Let's get into the synopsis. Three friends, Arlene, Shanna, and radio DJ Jungle Julia Lakai, are headed out of Austin, Texas to celebrate Julia's birthday. As they ride out of town towards their first stop, it's revealed that a black 1970 Chevy Nova is following them. Uh, Before entering their first stop, Guaro's Taco Bar, a brief shot of Arlene takes place when she notices a uh, menacing black vehicle slowly slowing down to get a good look at the ladies as they walk in ominous music plays but arlene ignores the incident and walks into the bar once she sits down we learn that julia has more in store for arlene than meets the eye julia reveals that she's made a radio announcement offering a free lap dance for marlene in return for addressing her as butterfly buying her a drink and reciting a segment from the poem stopping by woods on a snowy evening we've got a clip here so butterfly can I buy you a drink? I'd love one. Well, can I get you? I take a margarita. <laughs> Here you go. So after they buy you a drink, when they raise their glass to toast, they look you dead in the eye and repeat this poem. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, and I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Did you hear me, butterfly? miles to go before you sleep and then if they say that you got to give them a lap dance what 
<laughs> if they call you butterfly, buy you a drink, repeat that poem, you gotta give them a lap dance. That's bullshit. I ain't giving them nothing. Like, you can do it or not, but if you don't, everybody in Austin's gonna think you a chicken shit. And I don't think you want everybody in Austin thinking you're a chicken shit. I ain't giving nobody no lap dance because of what you said. Oh, come on, it's gonna be funny. Yeah, everything's funny to you two when it's happening to me. Look. You don't have to do it for anybody you don't want. I said you do it for the first guy who says it. So, some geek comes over trying to be cool, just tell him you already did it at another place earlier. No harm, no foul, but you get a free drink out of it. But maybe a little later in the evening, you've had a few drinks, you're kind of loosey-goosey, you're safe with your girls, then some kind of cute, kind of hot, kind of sexy, hysterically funny, but not funny-looking guy comes up and says it. Then maybe you did it earlier. Maybe you didn't. So let's talk a bit about this poem. Uh, it's written by Robert Frost and was published mm. for the first time in 1923 in his New Hampshire volume. Uh, the full poem is as follows. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. But uh, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. His, he gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Tarantino changes the last stanza ever so slightly and includes the lines, did you hear me, butterfly? Uh, You've got miles to go before you sleep, which makes it a reference to a 70s-era spy film by the name of Telephone. Um, The girls arrive at their second stop, a chili bar owned by Warren, who's played by Tarantino. He's an aging, eccentric (laughs) bartender who convinces the ladies to take shots of chartreuse, the only liquor so good it has a color named after it. Uh, Can I just say, this is exactly the type of bar that I would love to hang out in. (laughs) But seriously, though, who takes shots of chartreuse? Why not? It has a, it has a color named I after guess. it. It's just so spicy. Like I, I Alex, I also feel like this is exactly the kind of bar that Quentin Tarantino would hang out at. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think Quentin Tarantino and I had like the same types of bars. <laughs> Amidst the drinking, the girls snag three guys, one of whom is played by Eli Roth, who keep the drinks flowing and the conversation going. But it's soon revealed that there's another interested party at the bar, aging Hollywood stunt double Mike McKay, played by the one and only Kurt Russell. You want to talk about a bizarre opening scene for a character that's supposed to be like a cool dude, right? Like he's, he's got this, he's got, it's Kurt Russell, you know, he always plays like that, like, like, I don't know, cool guy with a gruff exterior. It just, he's supposed to be somebody cool. I think he's trying, obviously his character's trying too hard in this movie, but uh, we don't know anything about him. Nora's sinister attentions at this point in the film, but we see it's Kurt Russell. He's stuffing his face with an absolutely <laughs> disgusting, in an uh, absolutely disgusting manner with extremely greasy nachos while Pacific Gas and Electric's Stago Lee plays in the background. I mean, how do you eat nachos? I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to look any better, right? But damn, dude, if he doesn't make, he heightens the sound effects on the chewing. Like, he's really got, like, the grease and stuff dripping down his chin and all the camera There's shots. lots of, like, finger touching, which I feel like is really disgusting, especially at this point in oh, time. God, yeah. Just, like, slurping also, and, like, squelching. <laughs> random fun fact, that is actually Quentin Tarantino's jukebox. Oh. Yeah, it is. The one that was in the yeah. bar? Yeah. And apparently all of those tracks are what's actually in the jukebox. 
I yeah. do not doubt that for a second. Uh, Arlene steps out for a quick smoke in between rounds and notices the 1970 Chevy Nova is now parked in the parking lot. It has skull and crossbones painted on the hood. When she arrives back inside the bar after a quick makeout session with one of the guys she's hanging out with, she mentions a woman named Pam sitting at the bar who just happens to need a ride. Mike swoops in to save the day, offering a little bit of insight into his character. Hey, Warren! Is there anybody in this place you could vouch for to give me a ride home? Fair lady, your chariot awaits. You've been eavesdropping? <laughs> eavesdropping and can't help it here. I think I belong in the latter category. So, uh, icy hot. You offering me a ride home? I'm offering you a lift. If, when I'm ready to leave, you are too. And when are you thinking about leaving? Truthfully, I'm not thinking about it. When I do, you will be the first to know. Will you be able to, uh, drive later? I know looks can be deceiving, but I'm a teetotaler. I've been drinking club soda and lime all night, and now I'm building up to my big drink. Which is what? Virgin Pina Colada. Okay, why would someone who doesn't drink spend hours at a bar drinking water? You know, a bar offers all kind of things other than alcohol. Hmm, really? Like what? Women. Nacho Grande platters. The fellowship of some fascinating individuals like Warren here. <laughs> uh, alcohol is just a lubricant for all the individual encounters that a barroom offers. Ooh, is that cowboy wisdom? I'm not a cowboy, Pam. I'm a stuntman. But that's a very easy mistake to make. How do you know my name? When you were talking with Warren, couldn't help it over here. Fair enough. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. And who the hell is Stuntman Mike? He's Stuntman. So during this conversation, Mike mentions that his car is death-proof. Sam's the podcast car guru, and as a result, I tasked him with figuring out exactly what goes into making a vehicle, quote, unquote, death proof. Sam, what'd uh, you find out? Speaking of death proof, hold on. Oh, uh, I thought that was part of the podcast. No, that was not part of the podcast. That was just incredibly well-timed. All right, we'll One be back. Second. So how to make a car death proof. I'm going to nerd out a little bit over all of this. So I had a feeling you me. would. That's why I was just like, yeah, I'm going to tell I Sam to cover this. rabbit holes. Uh, like finding out stuff about this movie. Um, so I'm going to start with actually what I think is like the coolest fact about any of this. And it makes me more jealous than just about anything else I'll ever be in my life. So Keenan Hooker, a production assistant for Hoonigan, which is the Ken Block, Jim Connor Ford sponsored race team is the son of buddy Joe Hooker, the stunt man for Kurt Russell in this movie. They had four black Chevy Novas and three of the 69 chargers in this movie um of the four chevy novas one of them was titled the prius one of them was titled the jesus and the other two didn't really get names um all four of them were wrapped the same way they had the cast rubber ducky on the hood um they all had the lexan windows and everything uh, but the Jesus was the only one that actually ran, and that was the one that was used for most of the stunts that actually involved the car, like, really driving. Okay. Um, 
after the movie was done, this beat up piece of shit 70s Chevy Nova was then sold to uh, Buddy Joe for $500, who then gave it to his son Keenan, who then fixed it up, got it working, and was his first car in high school. So this kid <laughs> drove this fucking car every day That's while crazy. in high school. I mean, if and you I'm can willing... fix that up, though, after everything that car went through, like, yeah, you've, you deserve that you deserve fucking that. car. So he yeah. got, the one that he got... Uh, so the, the the one that we see at the end of the first half of the movie that causes the car accident, that one's the Prius. Uh, the the Jesus, which is the one that he got, is the one that's used for like all the burnouts in the street and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one wasn't too badly damaged. But I'm willing to bet there was a massive teen pregnancy spike at that high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of the. Chevy Novas had roll cages. Um, so the Prius was destroyed during the stunt um, where he does the cannon roll that follows the crash. Right. Which they did in one take. They only did that in one take, which means the other two Novas were completely untouched. Okay. Um, well, that's good, one, right? Like, you don't want to yeah, destroy everything. Yeah. Um, the Challenger that the girls drive uh-huh. was recently sold on ebay for thirty six thousand dollars back in 2016 i think Um, honestly that's not too bad of a price to pay for a vehicle that was in like a tarantino movie no Uh, definitely not another one of the cars uh was recently sold on ebay two years ago um the closest i ever saw the listing was like the the bids were up to like 10 or 12 grand it was one of the i think it was i think it might have been the mustang um, I don't know what the final price was for that because it's been removed. Oh, okay. Uh, the, like the auction's been removed. Um, but to answer the question of what it would take to make the car deathproof and whether or not these Novas and Chargers were actually deathproof, to give a little bit of background on what that means, Palmer, I sent you a little clip of Stuntman Mike explaining what uh, what is so special about his car. So you can stick that one in right here. That's fucking scary. Yeah, well, I wanted it to be impressive. Scary tends to impress. Is it safe? No, oh, it's better than safe. It's deathproof. How do you make a car deathproof? Well, that's what stuntmen do. You've seen a movie where a car gets into some smash-up there ain't no way in hell anybody's walking away from. Yeah. Well, how do you think they accomplish that? CGI? <laughs> well... Unfortunately, Pam, nowadays, more often than not, you're right. Back in the all-or-nothing days, vanishing point days, the dirty Mary Crazy Larry days, the white line fever days, real cars smashing into real cars, real dumb people driving. So, give the stunt team the car you want to smash up, take her and reinforce that fucker everywhere, and voila, you got yourself a death-proof That makes sense. I just didn't know you could make a car deathproof. Well, I can drive this baby into a brick wall doing 125 miles an hour. Just for the experience. Why is your passenger seat on a box? Well, this is a movie car. Sometimes when you're shooting a crash, director wants to put a camera in the car. You know, shoot the crash from the inside. That's where you put the camera. They call it a crash box here. There you go. 
You know, when you asked to drive me home, you didn't mention your car didn't have a passenger seat. Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't ask to drive you home. You asked me for a ride, and I said yes. But look at the bright side, Pam. I won't be getting fresh putting my hand on your knee. <laughs> Is the right side. I thought so. What an interesting clip that was. That was the <laughs> most interesting clip I've ever heard. My God. My God. It was just amazing. Outstanding. Thanks, Stuntman. Phenomenal. Man, Perfection. We could keep Stunt going. Stuntman Mike knows his car. So, is, <laughs> is this car actually death proof? Absolutely not. It is a lot stronger and more secure than most cars thanks to the roll cage, the reinforced body structure, the plexiglass instead of actual glass windows, and what appears to be only a four-point harness. Uh, but if that's all it took, Wait, NASCAR drivers Are there more, are there more points to the harnesses? Uh, the most I've seen is six, but I think there is a seven-point harness. I don't know. So if what does that mean? Actually... What, is, what does a point harness mean? What is a point on a harness? Does it mean like it buckles so, in this many times? or? Uh, so it's the anchor points. So... Um, your standard seatbelt is uh, three points. So you've got the anchor point over your shoulder. You've got the anchor point where you clip it in, and then you've got the anchor point on the other side of your lap. Okay. Or like the one in your baby's car seat's a five-point harness, right? Because it clicks in the middle and then the four sides. Yeah, so you've got okay. two over the shoulder. You've got two around the waist, and then you've got one up from underneath. So five-point harness is most often like used in racing. Um, there are six point harnesses, um, that are a little more, uh, like structurally sound, but they're very rarely used as far as I'm aware, um, outside of like professional racing. But even then I think it's still mostly five point harnesses. Okay. Um, so if that's all it took to make a car death proof, NASCAR drivers would never die, but they still do, uh, from time to time. <laughs> right. Um, they're dying a lot it's less, rare, which though. says a lot. It is it a lot is, more rare now. these days, and a lot of that is because they have a lot more safety features built into their cars. Um, so things that would make a car potentially death-proof, aside from being an Elon Musk Cybertruck, include <laughs> uh, the full, uh, full rolled steel chassis or carbon fiber monocoque, which is similar to what NASCAR and F1 cars are made of, or modern hypercars. Um, a full rolled steel chassis, like tube frame chassis, um, if you take all the panels off the car, you just see, like, a big kind of mess of, like, tube steel that's all welded together. Um, or if it's a, like, carbon fiber monocoque, the entire car is built out of one piece, um, which makes it super safe. Um, additionally, you're going to have five or six-point racing harnesses. You're going to have structurally sound racing-style seats, which his car don't seem to have in this movie. How can um, you tell? So if there's like a ton of like if it's a big bulky bolstered seat, then it because uh, from what it looked like his the seats in his car looked like standard seats that oh, you get in okay. any car. So they need um, to be those bucket seats, like the one that you have in your car. Even those, like though, like in my car, I would replace if I was going to get into like legit racing, I would replace my seats with actual like sport bucket seats, which usually have like a fixed back that's uh. made out of carbon fiber. Um, for like structural rigidity and stuff like that. I have a quick question before you continue. Is this yes. movie going to awaken your midlife crisis and turn you into a, a street racer? Are you gonna Are you gonna Tokyo <laughs> drift through the streets of Richmond late at night? I'm not gonna Tokyo drift through the streets of Richmond, <laughs> but I do actually want to get back into racing with your burned rubber. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from me in my car. <laughs> Um, another thing, and this is what NASCAR has helped uh, kind of implement after the death of the Dale, um, 
something like a Hans device, which is a head and neck support device, uh, and a corresponding helmet, which protects your squishy brain uh, from what happens to Pam, right. as we see in the movie. Um, and most importantly, the final two things will make your car potentially death-proof. Uh, thing number one is uh, not getting into crashes in the first place, which is why all modern cars have so many safety features and cameras and all sorts of shit. Um, and that will apply the brakes for you because the safest way to survive a crash is to not get into one. But uh, if you're still adamant about overriding all that shit and slamming into cars like stuntman Mike seems to be, um, not being a squishy bag of floating meat wrapped in a leathery bag uh, (laughs) would also be potentially helpful. And so that's the biggest (laughs) issue here is so that big crash that we all talked about uh, in NASCAR where that guy was like, we all thought he was going to die. He was out of the hospital. Weeks back or months? What was it like two months ago? Yeah, a couple months ago. Um, so all of those safety features, so you've got your roll cage, you've got the, the tube frame chassis, you've got the Hans device, you've got the helmets, you've got the extinguishers on board, you've got um, the, the higher seats with the head and neck support that kind of wraps around. All that stuff helped keep him alive. Because um, G-forces are a very real thing, so right. the biggest issue with car crashes, and that's why you see, you know, you, you've seen over the years the, the collapsible parts of cars is to help kind of mitigate how fast you're going uh, when you actually come to a complete stop. Um, Stuff like that is why some people are able to walk away from these violent wrecks and some people don't. But things have gotten so much safer in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. that uh, the last bout of round of statistics I found was that uh, roughly 50 million people worldwide are injured in car accidents compared to roughly one and a half million fatalities. So we are getting closer to actually death-proof cars. Hmm, that's interesting. Which is good. You might still come out of the wreck looking like he did at the end of this with your broken arm and flip kind of out of the side and wailing really loudly, though. Hmm. Hmm. He was wailing. He was. It was pretty funny. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Well, thanks, Sam, for that uh, interesting insight into what makes a car death-proof. Well, quote-unquote death-proof. Right, because I guess the takeaway was nothing is death-proof, Sam. It can't be done. I mean, short this movie of Killdozer. Like, if, if your car is the Killdozer, then yeah, you're fine. Oh, Nothing's okay. going to stop you. Should we all just drive around in monster trucks? Those are pretty cool, but I don't think I feel those like those are, are pretty flimsy, to be honest. Like, But they're 75 feet up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> if you, I, I think that works if you're the only one driving in the monster truck. Oh, okay. Because so then, you, can, then can you don't have to worry about truck. everybody else. But if everybody's driving monster trucks, I think you've got the same problems. Mm, so mm. grave grave digger right he has uh that, <laughs> that monster truck place in north carolina <laughs> that we drive by like every fucking time we go to the outer banks we go to the beach yeah <laughs> and every single time i'm like we're gonna stop there and we never grave we never digger. do <laughs> one of these happen. years i think i'm going to it'll yeah. have to Next happen year. dude for sure like when we all survive the coronies I feel like the baby would love monster trucks i feel like yes i agree i agree <laughs> Or hate it, but I don't care. Going anyway. <laughs> We're doing this for me, not you. Do you understand? <laughs> you sit down and you suck, suck it, it up, up. baby. <laughs> uh, Stick your fingers in your ear. <laughs> for some reason, Arlene can't stop looking at Stuntman Mike. Probably because she's suspicious because uh, she saw him being a fucking creep in his car earlier yep. that day. But he convinces her to uh, give him a lap dance. 
basically taunting her into it. Here's the clip. Ladies. Cheers, butterfly. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. And I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Did you hear me, butterfly? Miles to go before you sleep. Sorry, stuntman Bert. Mike. Mike. She already broke off that dance. Is that true? Did I miss my chance? Do I frighten you? Is it my scar? It's your car. Ah, yeah, I know. Sorry. It's my mom's car. Have you been following us? No, but that's what I love about Austin. It's just so damn small. You've seen us go before? I saw him outside of Guero's. And I saw you outside Guero's, too. You saw my car, I saw your legs. Now, look, I ain't stalking y'all, but I didn't say it wasn't a wolf. So you really weren't following us? I'm not following you, butterfly. I just got lucky. So? How about that lap dance? Sorry, it was a one-time only offer and she did it earlier this evening at Antone's. No, she didn't. How do you know? I'm good that way. And you look a little too shade. What's too shade? Wounded slightly. Why should I be wounded? Because you expected guys to be pestering you all night, but from your look, I can tell nobody pestered you at all. That kind of hurt your feelings a little bit, didn't it? There are a few things as fetching as a bruised ego on a beautiful angel. So, how about that lap dance? I think I'm gonna have to give you a rain check. Well, since you'll be leaving in the next couple of days, that rain check will be worthless. But that's okay. I understand if I make you uncomfortable. You're still a nice girl, and I still like you. But I must warn you of something. You know how people say, you're okay in my book, or in my book, that's no good. Well, I actually have a book. And everybody I ever meet goes in this book and now I've met you, and you're going in the book. <laughs> Except, I'm afraid I must file you under chicken shit. And what if I did it? Well, I definitely couldn't file you under chicken shit then, now could I? What's your name again? Stuntman Mike. Well, Stuntman Mike, I'm Butterfly. My friend Jungle Julie over here says that jukebox inside is pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Why don't you go get ready for your lap dance? 
Wow, what a great clip. All right, the women from... <laughs> <laughs> in khaki shorts, nonetheless. I just find it interesting that she saw him in his car earlier being a creep, and she still gave him a lap dance, which makes me assume she did not see him eating nachos. He yeah. spoke to her soul. He called her yeah, out dude, he for really being did. lonely. She, went, she did a full pretty. 180. She was like, oh, <laughs> this guy really gets me. Uh, uh, the women prepare to depart with Lana, another friend. Pam, Julia's old classmate, accepts Mike's offer of a ride home. Mike. But she's not going to sleep nope, with him. Nope, she won't. <laughs> He's old like my yep, dad. Yep, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Mike takes Pam to his Hollywood stunt car rigged with a roll cage and tells her that his car is death proof, but only for the driver. Uh, at this point in the film, he asks her whether or not she's going left or she's going right. right? She says right. Yeah, she says right. We're he's like, right. well, damn. She's like, why? And he's just like, could have been that much longer until you realized that something was up and you wouldn't be scared. But now you're just it's just time to get scared. And she's just that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, <laughs> that was such a great. So line. the entirety of the time is she's screaming, she's hollering, "Let me out!" She's she goes through all the the, the fucking stages of grief. She tries bargaining. <laughs> she tries yep. like being defensive and yelling at him. She tries acceptance, and then finally. Uh, the the dashboard accepted her face. Yeah, he he yeah. speeds up and slams on the brakes, causing Pam's skull to meet the dashboard uh, and become really good friends, um, killing her. <laughs> killing her. <laughs> uh, he catches up to the women's car uh, with with the dead Pam in the passenger seat and drives into. Well, she he drives past it first. Uh, right. Turns his light off or speeds past it, turns his lights off and gets into their lane and drives towards it and doesn't throw his lights on until the last possible second. So they can't pull away and smashes into them head on at a, at an incredibly high speed. So both cars are just totally demolished. And, mm. uh, because of the fact that Mike's car is death proof, but only for the driver, he walks away with just a broken finger. Whereas all the girls, uh, Die horribly. <laughs> so you have the driver who gets showered with glass yeah, that's, and has the yeah. steering wheel slam into her. That's Shanna, right? Julia's leg comes flying off. Yep. I don't remember how what exactly happens to Shanna, and Arlene's face gets ripped off by the tire. Right. Doesn't one of them go through the windshield? Yeah, isn't that's, that, that's is Shanna. That Shanna? Okay. 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 Uh, so this, in a movie that's made with like, Interesting editing choices to make it look like what it is. This is the one scene that has always bugged me because there is a massive editing mistake here. Okay. What's that? So we see kind of the death of each girl in four different shots. And Mm -hmm. so, like, you see the cars crash four different times. And the first and second shots where you see uh, Julia and the driver die, the cars slam together and come, like, to an instant stop. You don't see it the third time when Shanna gets fired out through the windshield. But the fourth time when you see Arlene die, instead of the car slamming into uh, each other and coming to a complete stop, the Nova actually hits it and then goes over the top, which causes the spin to happen. And it's just like a really weird editing choice to have it go that way. Hmm. I did not notice that. I didn't either. I will will be completely honest. Uh, yeah, I didn't notice that one at all, but I'm glad that you picked up on it, Sam. I just kept seeing the leg. Because the thing, like, 
and the reason that it bugs me the most is like the first two deaths would make sense but shanna wouldn't be able to get ejected out of the windshield if the other car is driving over it right because the car would be uh, on the i see what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right honestly this mm. whole thing plays out like one of those canadian public service commercials yep. that they released that were like horribly <laughs> graphic yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i remember when those things got got released and bloody disgusting started talking about them and like airing them i was like there might be something that you're going for here that might just just maybe be missing the mark <laughs> no no they're i think that they're probably pretty spot Are on they? they were just to freak us out well, yeah like, because like they had one for the the car accident one for like the drinking uh-huh. and driving those were two separate ones yep. and then they had no yep. one was for texting sorry and one was for drinking and driving and then they had one that was like randomly like a, a worker in a restaurant that gets like scalding hot water poured <laughs> all over them and i'm just like you yeah. guys are just this is just this is just gorgeous. I feel like Canadians have had a history of just like really disturbing commercials to try and get people to not be bad. <laughs> and that's why they're so nice. That is why they're so nice. Like, don't be we bad. We saw in that commercial, so we don't need to see it in real life, okay? No, no, it's we're fine. <laughs> this is your brain on drugs. <laughs> um, effectively, this, this, well, they cut to a scene in the hospital, right? Chair McGraw appears. Uh, with his son and uh they discuss the fact that maybe just maybe this wasn't an accident and the sheriff actually mentions that he thinks that this was uh a murder and that it was pre uh what do you call it premeditated yeah, premeditated, premeditated. And, uh, that that it was sexual in nature now like he like it gave him a yeah, boner now Tarantino actually edited out a scene that was supposed to exist before the hospital scene, but uh, after the car accident, where Stuntman Mike goes over to the car and Mm. just viciously masturbates onto all the dead bodies. And Tarantino was like, no, that's in poor taste. (laughs) Well, wasn't part of that scene also he picks up Julia's leg off the road and he's holding it in his hand while he's he's beating it off? (laughs) so apparently that got edited out because he felt that uh the conversation between the sheriff and his son was enough of a way to tell the audience that this was sexual in nature um (laughs) (laughs) it gives gives me the heebie yeah just a little bit so uh yeah like i said this effectively ends the first part of the film and uh this is where the film does kind of a, a total 180 it loses the the grainy uh filtery look to it becomes like a modern shot film pretty much from here on out uh the poor editing disappears it's just it goes from an homage to 70s exploitation to just being like fuck it i'm making a tarantino movie now (laughs) yeah 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 um so we cut to 14 months later in lebanon tennessee where once again we're introduced to mike um he's in another all black car, a 1969 Mustang this time. This one without the skull and crossbones on the hood. He's got three more young women in his sights named Abernathy Ross, Kim Mathis, and Lee Montgomery. They stop at a convenience store where Mike watches them from his car. The women pick up their front friend, stunt woman Zoe Bell, uh, from the airport while Mike inconspicuously photographs them. Sam, you got something you want to say about this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you sure? 
So there's, I've got a really bizarre tangent about Lindsay Lohan. Oh, okay. Here we uh, go. Oh, I like <clears throat> Lindsay Lohan. Let's talk. So when the women are all driving and they're talking about kind of like their work and everything, uh, uh-huh. Rosaria Dawson says she's doing Lindsay Lohan's makeup mm-hmm. for a movie. Yep. Okay. I don't know what inspired me to just look up Lindsay Lohan's movies. But if this oh, movie oh, you takes place in 2007, okay. <laughs> if this movie took place in 2007, these are the three options for movies that came out starring Lindsay Lohan that year that Rosario Dawson possibly could have done her makeup for in this weird Quentin Tarantino universe. Chapter 27, Georgia mm-hmm. Rule, and I Know Who Killed Me. Uh, so three classic Lindsay Lohan movies? Classic, yeah. absolute classics. <laughs> Georgia, oh yeah, that's <laughs> Fucking These are amazing movies, Sam. I have not seen any of these movies. Oh yeah. I've not heard I, I've not even heard of any of these movies. Georgia Rule has Jane yeah, Fonda jo- in Georgia it. Georgia Rule is but that's like a remake, right? Of like a classic film? I'm not sure, but I think in that movie she was being molested by her dad. Uh, so if that's actually the case, given it's Quentin Tarantino and given what stuntman Mike's proclivities are in this movie, <laughs> I'm guessing that's the one Rosario Dawson was working on. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Or maybe I know. Maybe I know who killed me. Also right? fitting. That's this is the one where she woke up in a hospital and she had like amnesia, and she didn't remember who she oh, was. Like a typical day in the life of Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like she was like she like went missing, and then they found her like two weeks later, and she was. I think she had amnesia or something, or she forgot who she was. Uh, <laughs> Come on, how do you guys not know I, these I, I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Lindsay Lohan stan. Yeah. Sorry, I don't Clearly know Clearly not. Yeah. We're called low stands. Low, low stands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today I that's my weird. That's my weird tangent. That, that was a 1 a.m. moment last night. I that don't was a know a moment. I like that. I'm going to call those 1 a.m. moments for me for now on. Um, <laughs> because that's always when they happen. Um, Zoe? Oh, chat, hold on, hold on. What, real quick. Mm-hmm. Chapter 27 is a movie about Mark David Chapman. Oh. Hmm. Mm. Serial killer. Mm. Not serial killer. I, I guess I really need to brush up the on my Lindsay shot... Lohan. Yeah, these are three classic movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today we've... Whoever they got to play Mark David Chapman looks exactly like Oh, him. really? Yeah, it's actually really huh. cool. Or it looks pretty good. Um, Zoe herself also has an interesting backstory with this film. Uh, according to Wikipedia, after being stunned, stunned, stunned. by stunt woman Zoe Bell, who worked as Uma Thurman's stunt double in Tarantino's earlier film Kill Bill... Tarantino wrote her leading role, her leading her as the leading female role. Uh, this was her first on-screen acting, which Bell initially thought was just going to be a cameo role. Uh, the character Zoe was based on a stunt woman on the stunt woman herself, and included small stories based around her real life experiences, some with Tarantino. When her name was featured on the film posters opposite Kurt Russell, Rosaria Dawson, and Rose McGowan, she realized how big the role was. I don't know how you don't realize that when you have that many speaking lines. She's right. in like every scene for the second half of the film. She also has my favorite moment when she hops up at the end. She uh, goes, I'm okay. okay. Yeah. I'm okay. That was really good. Uh, Zoe tells them that she wants to test drive a 1970 Dodge Challenger because she's in the States. The same type of car from the 1971 film Vanishing Point. It turns out 
to be on sale nearby because she just happens to have a copy of the local newspaper. <laughs> she's, she's subscribed she's to it. Palmer. Yeah. Uh, all the way in New Zealand. Um, the owner lets them test drive it unsupervised after Abernathy tells him that Lee is a porn star and will stay behind. Zoe. Mm, yeah. Right. Uh, Zoe tells Abernathy and Kim that she wants to play a game that they call ship's mast where, whereby she rides on the hood, uh, holding, Belts fastened to the car, one of them happening to be a Prada belt. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) While Kim drives at high speeds, Kim is hesitant but agrees. The three enjoy the stunt, unaware that Mike is watching them in the background um, through binoculars. So he's actually like pretty far away. He's stalking them from from Mm. miles off uh, throughout the entire second half of the film, which is completely different than the first half where he gets relatively close the entire time, right? yeah, he smells Rosario Dawson's feet, and then he pretty much dips yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only time that he gets close, whereas, like, he's been so close to uh, his victims through the, throughout the entire first segment that, like, he uses call-outs. So, like, that speech at the end where he uh, where he picks up, uh, what's her name? Butterfly? Yeah, where he picks up Butterfly. He, like, even calls her a chicken shit, which is a callback. So he listened to the entire conversation that they had at the yeah. first bar without being seen. And now mm-hmm. he's now he's, you know, just watching them all from afar. So he's got a total change of motive here. Um, so uh, using these two belts, she fastens herself to the car at high speeds. Kim is hesitant, but she agrees. Uh, the three enjoy the stunt, unaware that Mike is watching them when he decides that he's uh, had enough just watching. and He's ready to rear end them in his own car. Uh, obviously, Zoe is still holding on for dear life on the front of the car. She drops one of uh, the belts and uh ends up having to hold on with her own two hands this is this is an absolutely batshit scene dude like <laughs> the fact that you have like one of your lead actresses doing a stunt this dangerous uh i just i don't even know how you get the balls to do that in the first place no, uh because have you guys read anything about this stunt have you guys looked into how this stunt was performed like this was all like no. her, done by her it was done in multiple takes, but it was done like all by her holding on with her own two bare hands while the car was going upwards of 80 miles an hour. <laughs> oh Sometimes up to 100. Yeah. See, I was wondering if the car was actually going that fast. The car was, was so Quentin, super fast. So Tarantino and even uh, Zoe Bell was pretty adamant about it. Um, that they, you know, they could have faked it. They could have set up like yeah, green could screen, some, CGI, some like but he didn't want some to big fans, and made it look like it's moving. But then it wasn't gonna feel real. Uh, and because one of the biggest things was Quentin Tarantino had a very specific shot in his mind where you see the two cars next to each other, and in that shot, you're able to see the driver turning the wheel with Zoe on the hood yep. and the tires shifting from under the car. Yep. And that shot just wouldn't be possible if they weren't actually doing it. Well, not with the CGI at that time, definitely not. Maybe now with the CGI this time, but even then it would right. look, start to look fake. And that's one of the best parts about this movie is the fact that it really is like one of the best modern era filmmaking car chase scenes that like exists, period. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, it's it's weird to say this because, I mean, it is a horror movie. It does have a slash of tropes, but this is honestly like you could put this as a car movie yeah, and like mm-hmm. a chase movie up against just about anything else that they reference in this movie, like Bullet or 
the original gone in 60 seconds like all sorts yeah, of stuff like man. the like, original gone in 60 seconds like anything um you know dirty mary Cra- crazy larry um all that stuff even vanishing point like every one of those movies is iconic as far as like for being a car movie yeah and mm-hmm. i think i think this movie absolutely stands up to oh him. yeah dude it's batshit yeah, absolutely batshit um so he rear-ends them, causing Zoe, like I said, to drop one of the belts. After several more collisions, and by several, we mean literally dozens, <laughs> he T-bones them, uh, throwing Zoe from the hood. Uh, he gets out, and he says, well, that was fun. See you later. Have a Bye. good one. Bye. He waves to them and gets ready to sit back down to his car. All of a sudden, Zoe uh, pulls, or sorry, not Zoe, Kim pulls out the pistol that she keeps around her ankle. And shoots Mike in his left shoulder. He screams out in agony and has this fucking like doe-eyed look all of a sudden. Like, what the fuck did you do that for? He's so surprised. They're just fighting back. Yeah, what the fuck did you do that for? And he just immediately gets in his car and flees. Abernathy and Kim begin to cry over the loss of their friend Zoe until, like we said earlier, Zoe emerges (laughs) from the bushes uninjured and says the following. The three agree to catch up to Mike and kill him at this point. Uh, it's, it's really kind of, this is the one point where I kind of have to suspend my disbelief a little bit. Like I understand you just went through this traumatic experience of somebody trying to run you off the road, but to suddenly go from like a situation that was near life and death to all of a sudden she gets out of the bushes. She comes up to the car. She's like, so are we going to kill him? And they all just Dude, when, all yeah. of them. When she hops, she grabs that pole and hops onto the car like fucking Pegasus. That shit looks dope. Yeah. That is yeah, such a cool well, shot when that thing takes off driving away. She's not on the hood of the car anymore, so she's good. They're, <laughs> They're good, good to, to go. go. <laughs> but they all uniformly agree, like, in a split second, we're going to kill this guy. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. He just tried to kill all three of them. Why not? I, I just, you know, I think in real life it wouldn't work quite That's this way. That's what part you need to dispend your belief. Yeah, yeah, I just wouldn't feel like it works this way. But it makes for badass, badass scenes coming ahead. Because like we were talking about earlier, from this point on, the entire slasher trope is thrown in complete reverse. All of a sudden, the women are the ones who are just in complete power. And the the person who had the power, the slasher in this movie, is suddenly totally helpless. Not just helpless. But screaming in pain, fearful, mm-hmm. and just like all of a sudden the situation is is just pummeling him instead of the other way around. Oh yeah, he's crying, yeah. he's snotty, so he, like he pull, he's having a yeah, rough time. He's, having, he's not having a good time at all. He pulls over to the side of the road, uh, and <laughs> he treats his wound, his gunshot wound, with whiskey. Um he starts screaming in pain, so this is another kind of like vulnerable moment for him while he's pouring the whiskey <laughs> on, and the women just appear out of nowhere and just rear-end him over and over again at high speed. So he sees them coming, and he's like, oh, fuck! And this is where he starts, this is the, the where the chase, he he's no longer chasing them, right? He's he's scared, he's running for his life at this point. So this is like, mm-hmm. imagine every Friday the 13th movie where like the victim is running through the dark woods and it's Jason <laughs> chasing them. All of a sudden these girls are Jason and Jason is the fucking victim here. Uh, it's just, it's so great. I really love the way he kind of uproots roots everything. Um, 
So they start ramming into him with Kim screaming about how she wants to tap that ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, oh, you don't like that? Did you put together your tap that ass supercut? No, no, I didn't Aww. have time, unfortunately. My one of my goals for this week was to be able to clip every single moment where she says she wants to tap that ass uh, and play it in one supercut at this point in the podcast, but I just didn't have time to get all of them done today. Um, I mean, really, it's just the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, but she says it about 12 times. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> She's sticking with that analogy, and right. it works. I like how she she draws it out that one time where it's just like it, every word, she says a word, and then it cuts to Kurt Russell, and then it cuts back to her, and it cuts yep. back to Kurt Russell. <laughs> so uh, this chase takes place over a whole bunch of different like areas, right? <laughs> so we start off on a dirt road. Finally, they get off the dirt road onto a main drag of highway, of two-lane highway that goes both directions. We start in one direction, it flips over, they bust a U and they go in the other direction. So they start driving into oncoming traffic while they're chasing each other in these muscle cars. Mike manages to escape them at this point, or he thinks, but it turns out that they've mm. just gotten on a uh, access road that runs parallel to the main highway, right? So they're over there praying that this road doesn't have a dead end, which I'd be praying for at this point in time too. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead they hit a little bit of an arc. And they go up into the air and then just fly directly into Mike's car, plowing him off the road. Um, at this point, Mike has a broken arm. He's screaming, howling in pain uh, at the top of his lungs. And he, they start dragging him from the wreckage, right? And he's like, no, 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 don't do that. My arm is broken. And then you hear Zoe just break his arm some more. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it was just a yeah, joke. Yeah, it was just a joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just for fun. And uh, so they drag him from the wreckage and they proceed to give him the beating of his life before finally, mm. once they've knocked him unconscious and he's lying on the ground, uh, who is it? Rosario Dawson's character out of all of them lifts up her heel and just collides it with Mike's face. Post credits. Yeah. Uh, if this isn't one of the best, like girl power moments in like any horror movie, I don't know what else like makes the list. Honestly, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I was cheering so loud. Yeah. I just, I, if you can't include this on your month of, of, of uh strong female i guess women and in, 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 in not strong female women but strong feel female characters in a, a horror film then i don't know what else makes the cut it just just <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me yeah uh, then your list is shit right <laughs> right uh so there are a few things um that we were kind of discussing talking points about the film uh and um one thing that I kind of like took away from this after watching it for the first time earlier in the week is just like, there, there's not a whole lot of talk about stunt people in general. Right. Um, but mm -hmm. specifically, I feel like there's less talk about stunt women, right? Every once in a while, a stunt man breaks the mold. You learn his name. You learn about the person that was doing it behind the scenes of the film, things that kind of jump out to, uh, into my head immediately. Stuff like the matrix, uh, stuff mm -hmm. like, um, uh, I don't know. There's there's been plenty of action movies where a stuntman has managed to to make himself a not that maybe not necessarily a household name, but a more popular name. But you, I feel like you just don't ever hear about stunt women at all. Like period. Um, no, unless they're in a picture where they're standing next to whatever. If they're a stunt person for a specific like female actress, right. then you really don't even know that they're yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in this movie, we don't just have a stunt woman who's like brought 
front and center into the film, right? She's like, it is her name used in the film. Mm-hmm. It is her life story used in the film. And then she's the one who's acting as herself, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. so she becomes an actress in this movie, uh, front and center, taking over the entire, like, last half of the segment she is the star of this right both in terms of stunts and dialogue and like scenes from the second she enters the camera like she's one of the primary talkers she's the one who a lot Mm -hmm. of this movie revolves around right i mean after all it's her idea that gets them to get in this car in the first place uh, and leads them to getting chased by mike so let's talk about how much of a badass zoe bell is in this and why we think like female Stunt women don't get the same types of praise. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, I feel like just being a stuntman in general is kind of a, a job that you associate, obviously, with just being a right, dude, right, 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 right. It's a typically masculine job, even though women have been doing it. I mean, just doing a little bit of research, they've been female stunt women for pretty much as long as there's been movies. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's just like, I don't know, just what men get famous for. Women, so you think so like men are just like it's it's kind of like the jackass theory, right? Like like so at one yes. point, Mike, the stuntman, Mike says something along the lines of, "Well, like how did you get into stunt being a stuntman?" And he's like, "Well, it's Hollywood, you know. They'll pay you to if so, if you're willing to throw yourself down a flight of stairs, then you're likely to get paid for it or something like that." Right. Do you think that this is? And then also, his brother was a stuntman too, right? Right. right, right. Stuntman Bob or something. But it like brings up, <laughs> I think of like the whole, like, you know, the jackass guys. Everybody knows their names. They're like pretty popular, mm-hmm. right? And all they've done is just stupid fucking stunts. Do you think that this is maybe just like a field of work that tends to attract more guys? Or do you think? I don't know. I think I see, and I would have said that the movies that are being made now maybe are more the types of movies where you need female stunt women, but just doing like a little bit of research. I think one of the first female stunt women was born in 1892 (laughs) and she was a stunt woman. Her name was Helen Holmes and she was a stunt woman from like 1914 to 1917 (laughs) in silent movies. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) there've been female stunt women pretty much forever. That's crazy to me. I, uh, I'm going to have to (laughs) I had to look into some of that just just out of curiosity to see what type of stuff she was doing at that point. In time. She looks like she could be a stunt woman too. She looks pretty. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam, what are your thoughts on this? I think that you know, like like Alex said, I think part of it is you know, you don't often see women, I guess, kind of in lead roles like this. Um, so usually when you think of stunt people, you're thinking of stunt men. I know that. Uh, I, I saw the prices uh, or the numbers. I don't know how current they are, but I saw something that said like a stunt person can get uh sixteen hundred dollars for one day of work, up to twelve hours that day, or like thirty nine hundred for a whole week, which seems weird because yeah, you you're want, making you'd less. Wanna, yeah, you'd want to do it daily, wouldn't you? Although I guess it's like right. guaranteed employment versus. Yeah, you're here for yeah. maybe one day type of thing. Um, and I think it's also a, a, I I think it's one of those if if you see like historically in movies, you know, if you can see the stunt person, then the the film was edited poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I really like one of the reasons I really like this movie. I like that Zoe gets her shot in front of the camera and that it is a major role. Um, 
Interestingly, I actually went to high school with somebody that moved to Hollywood and is a stunt woman. That's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what has she? What has she been in? I I honestly can't remember. I'd have to look it up. Okay. Um, it was one of those. Did she have a background in like gymnastics or like? Yeah. I, what was, I don't understand. I, like, was she naturally athletic? I th- yeah, how did how I did think one she, just get into being a stunt person? I think person? she was, but uh, like I'd, I'd have to look it up. It's like it's one of those I actually completely forgot about it until right now. Oh, okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'd have to look it up and track her stuff down. Uh, but I just remember she used to post stuff all the time of just like kind of like the videos you see of like professional athletes that they'll put up on their Instagram and shit of like them doing stuff and it looks easy because they're professional athletes. Like these right. are like her videos of like throwing herself out of windows and shit. Uh-huh. Uh which is just fucking wild to see. Um, okay. Do you Do you think you have to be naturally athletic to be a stunt person? I don't think you necessarily have to be athletic. I mean uh I think resilience uh like, <laughs> right. cuz how many times are you willing to throw yourself out of a window? That's I, the question. Yeah, I think that is the bigger thing. I mean, there But with not everybody like that, that does, they teach not you how that does stunts in these movies and whatnot are like in great shape physically speaking no that's true especially if they have to look like someone who's not in great shape yeah but i feel like if you're doing that job like even if you're doing any sort of extreme sport or sport where you can be injured i feel like one of the first things they teach you or the one of the first things you learn is like how to fall yeah so that you don't hurt yourself like even when i remember when i was playing roller derby like that was before we could even go skate like that's what we had to learn yeah so how to fall fall. is super important and (laughs) so you don't break your fucking wrist and so (laughs) but tied to that and also kind of going back to like how to death proof a vehicle or at least be safe if you get into a car accident is one right. of the one of the things you hear a lot is people tense up mm-hmm. um and so that kind of plays in with like learning how to fall learning how to do these stunts is you can't be tense you have to relax your body otherwise your body's natural reaction uh when everything tenses up is that you're gonna get more injuries from it um uh, because all of your muscles are super tense and that causes undue stress on uh joints ligaments bones all that stuff right so can I just say, look, looking at the like I don't know top fifty female stunt women on IMDb, they're all like a bunch of babes oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what a cool job. <laughs> um, so Tarantino himself said in an interview he overtweaked this film. He also does not like this movie. He thinks this is his worst film. Yeah, really, he thinks this, he, is, he his thinks this is his worst film. film. Um, hmm. Do we agree? No. No. Um, well, absolutely. Not. Do we agree with the first part? Do we think he overtweaked it? No, I like it. You like so you like the aesthetic and everything. I think it's pretty jarring. I'm totally personally. into it. It's hard to say that Quentin Tarantino overtweaks anything given the movies that he's made. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it seemed perfectly fitting to me when you sent us that and said that he, you know, quoted him as that. I was very surprised. Yeah. He well, he was just like he was like if this is my wor-, he did say if this is my worst movie though it's not too bad. But he's determined to make every film that he does from that from from that movie on better than this movie. So he Which considers this the low point in his career, but even that, he's like, it's just mediocre. So this is going to be a really controversial statement. Oh, I love it. Th- I would take this movie over the following four movies. Okay. The Hateful Eight, Django Unchained, mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, and Reservoir Dogs. What? All right. Dude, those, I'm, all, I'm not going to lie. 
Those are all Palmer's favorite bro movies. I don't. Uh, so, I'm with you on Hateful Eight, but I completely yeah. disagree with you on the last three. And that's totally Django fine. Django Unchained. I that's fucking totally fun. loved like, Django Unchained, dude. I, and so did I. I. Did so did I. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not by any means saying I don't like these movies. I think they're all really good movies. I think they're really enjoyable to watch. I right. think the issue though is Quentin Tarantino often gets lost in his monologues a little too much, and that's what he's known for. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he does them really well. Um, but it's nice to see, like, one of the reasons I love this movie so much, and I think Quentin Tarantino did such a good job, and I'll take the weird editing choices that he made with this, because it is Quentin Tarantino, and he has weird editing choices and everything. Right. Is he doesn't take himself so seriously with this movie that he does with everything else. And the problem yeah. that I have with, like, Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, um, and I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so I can't really speak to that one, uh, is that sometimes, like, it's it's one of those, like, Kind of like Kevin Smith, where we know like dialogue writing is his thing and monologues are his thing. Sometimes it comes across as a little just too pretentious. Too much. And if you're yeah. not just talking about hiding hunks of metal up your ass, honestly, <laughs> just that, that's, that's totally cool. Give me a little bit more fun, though. And that's the thing. This movie doesn't suffer from pacing issues like a lot of his other stuff does. Because it is... This movie did seem really fun. It is, as Quentin Tarantino himself said... Real cars, real shit at full speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love this movie. Uh I would take it over Hateful Eight and Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in Hollywood. Uh okay. I do not think it stands up to the rest of his catalog, though. I would take it over Reservoir Dogs and hate you. Eight. You guys don't like Res- Reservoir Dogs. No, like is probably said, my favorite film. No, let, like- me, let me re- let me rephrase it so it makes a little more sense. I would give if we were like rating all of his movies individually. I would give yeah. Reservoir Dogs a higher rating. I would give um, I would give Pulp Fiction a higher rating. I would give pretty much everything aside from Jackie Brown and The Hateful mm-hmm. Eight a higher rating. If I want to watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, though, honestly, this is probably going to draw my attention more than Reservoir Dogs, more than yeah. Jackie Brown, more than Django Unchained. Things what? Like uh, just out of curiosity, what do you have against Jackie Brown? Did you just think it was too slow? No, and again, like I, I, I like Jackie Brown. Like me giving, if I was going to rate Jackie Brown, it's at least like three and a half. Um, it's definitely the least Tarantino movie of any movie he's done. Yes. I'll admit yeah, that definitely. much. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just can't. I, I hard disagree on Reservoir Dogs, dude. Like I would take that would be my go to. That would be the one that I would choose is like the if somebody was like, let's watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and I had to choose one, it would be Reservoir Dogs every time. Yeah. Oh, really? Mine would be Kill Bill for sure. Which part one or Kill number yeah, one? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Kill Bill would definitely be close because that fucking anime scene is so fucking awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I just think that this movie is a bit more of a fun. I think it's a little bit more fun than Reservoir Dogs. I think Reservoir Dogs is kind of too serious. Oh, okay, see, I I just fuck. I love. I fucking love that movie so much. It, <laughs> it speaks to me on levels that I didn't. No, even and know. Reservoir. That's, and that's because it's a dude's it movie. Probably, it is a dude's. It is a dude's movie. And Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs is, is like great. a straight up bro movie. But it, like movie. all of those movies kind of suffer from the whole Quentin Tarantino's taking himself so seriously. Yes. That this movie does not have like an ounce of that outside of like some of the editing choices he makes for the first half, which you can easily overlook. And I think that just, that makes this movie just so much easier to watch. 
and so mm-hmm. much more fun to watch. Yeah, this movie is a fun movie. Right. Um, also, one other thing that I noticed, I, I, I purposefully withheld this from the list of possible uh, candidates for Stuntman Mike. Have you guys watched Wolf Creek yet? I know we've talked about it no, on a, a couple not. times on the podcast, and I was wondering if you guys have seen it yet. No? Mm-hmm. You guys need to get around to watching that movie, too. Um, John Jarrett. I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I am, too. I still <laughs> manage to do shit. Uh, I'm busy. <laughs> um, John Jarrett, actually. John yeah, Jarrett? Yeah, almost starred as Stuntman Mike. He's, he plays the killer in Wolf Cre- Wolf's Creek. Um, uh, okay. Which would have made an Aussie guy mm. the, uh, the I guess, the lead, the lead villain. An Aussie film. trying to kill a Kiwi. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have seen like a, I guess like the first two episodes of Wolf Creek and he, I okay I was thinking Bruce Willis could have done a good job too. <laughs> uh yeah Bruce well I don't know I just I he might have been too old after by that everything point, Kevin Smith has said about him I just don't know that I care for Bruce Willis that much. Oh does he suck? Hardcore? Apparently he's just like a terrible human being. But apparently that's also like can... changed. So I don't know. Maybe he's better yeah, now. Maybe maybe I think it's probably been totally... because. Like Kevin Smith, like rail bug on him for like years. He seems like one of those people that could be a total yeah. asshole. Um, other things I quickly wanted to mention because we're probably not going to have uh, another awesome opportunity to fit in a Quentin Tarantino film for a while. I always like talking about how these movies connect to the greater Tarantino verse <laughs> that exists. Yeah. Uh, he does do a very good job. He of does. That. Yeah. So aside from the red apple cigarettes and the big kahuna burgers, uh, there are a couple other moments. Sam, did you pick up on anything for this? Yeah, so I've actually got a laundry list of things in this one. Ooh, All right. Um, and it's not just Tarantino films. It's kind of, it's, it covers Tarantino films, his actors, other films, as well as the movies he's referencing. Uh, so you've got a bunch of references to Convoy, um, including uh, Arlene's short shorts and tight top that we got to listen to Joe Bob talk about at uh, Scares That Care. Um, you got the yellow Mustang Grande that was the starring car in Gone in, the original Gone in 60 Seconds. Stuntman Mike's whole sequence where he talks like John Wayne. Um, the license plates on his two cars. One is uh, a reference to Bullet. The other one is a reference to Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. There's a t-shirt on the bar in the wall that is the same t-shirt Kurt Russell wore in Big Trouble in Little China, which is the one with the samurai and the sun on it. Right. Um, Rosario Dawson's ringtone is from Kill mm-hmm. Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I actually split these up. I need to find the other half of these. Um, there's Shots First Post Time, which Quentin Tarantino uh, is, referen- is, is referencing uh, from Dusk Till Dawn. George Clooney says it in that one. Um, there's obviously the, that is a tasty, is that a tasty beverage or is that a tasty beverage, which is a hacked up rip from Pulp Fiction. Big Kahuna Burger, as you mentioned. There's the bumper sticker on the Mustang, I believe, that says Pussy Wagon, which is the reference to Kill Bill as well. Um, those are all the ones that I at least remember to write down. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's actually pretty much every single one that I've I've got, plus a few that I missed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> I pretty much only noticed the Kill Bill ones. <laughs> uh, so, well, well done, Sam. I didn't really... For once, you have rendered me speechless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, buddy. Good job. I mean, it, it is an interesting movie. That's another reason why this movie feels so like interesting as far as Quentin Tarantino is concerned, because it's almost like 
uh, obviously it's an homage to all these old car movies. It's an homage to old to like the history of stunt people, but it's also kind of like a weird homage to himself, mm-hmm. which I don't know if there's any other bullets you want to hit on things to talk about. So I've I do have one thing. That okay, go ahead. Kind of makes this whole thing a little weird. Uh, there's not really a way to talk about this movie and not talk about. Quentin Tarantino his and love his, Oh, I was going to say his love of feet, but all right. Yeah. I was going to say, are we talking about his feet thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's, that's a part of it. So in January or February of 2018, an editorial in the New York Times came out titled, Why is Uma Thurman, or this is why Uma Thurman is angry. Mm. Uh, Tell us why Uma's mad. So much of the article is actually about Uma Thurman's relationship with Harvey Weinstein, who produced all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Yeah. And she alleges mm-hmm. in the article that he sexually assaulted her. Uh, Harvey Weinstein did. Oh, um, I was like, what? <laughs> and that the chief source of her rage turns out to be a previously undisclosed accident on the set of Kill Bill Volume 2. Uma Thurman claimed that Tarantino persuaded her uh, to perform a driving stunt she didn't want to do. He wanted to see her hair flapping in the breeze at 40 miles an hour. She lost control of the car, crashing it into a tree, leaving her with a permanently damaged neck and fucked up knees. Um, Additionally, uh, Tarantino kept the stunt coordinator, Keith Adams, and his entire department off set that day. Um, Jesus. Which might have something to do with the fact that stopping really stupid fucking stunts is part of their job. Uh-huh. Um, That's like literally probably one of the biggest parts of their yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, don't do that. I'll lose my stunt yeah. person. <laughs> a- additionally, Uma Thurman claims that she was warned beforehand that the stunt car she was driving in was uh, known as a death box. Um, and while, so not death proof? Not death proof. <laughs> quite the opposite, yeah. actually. <laughs> Um, and while she and Tarantino are kind of like on the cool now, uh, it is yeah, really... Yeah, they're talking about doing a Kill Bill Volume 3. He yeah. wants to make that his final film, apparently. So, in the immediate aftermath of the accident, along with um, kind of the outcome of this article, she did actually actively accuse him of trying to kill her, and he Mm -hmm. openly denied it, um, and then turned around right afterwards and made a movie about a cool guy with a foot fetish who kills women through really stupid car stunts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, on top of that, that way. <laughs> and on top of that, not only found a person who looks exactly mm-hmm. like Uma Thurman, but was Uma Thurman's her, stunt double. Right, was her fucking stunt double in Kill Bill. That's funny. <laughs> um, fortunately, <laughs> though, kind of fucked up, this does kind of have like a decent outcome. Um, it took about 15 years and Quentin Tarantino's help to recover the raw footage of the car crash that happened in the movie, um, where Weinstein and his previous company, Miramax, apparently refused to show to her unless she signed a document releasing them from any consequences of her future pain and suffering. Um, because, of course, he did. <laughs> well, part of that also strained the relationship between Thurman and Tarantino. But yeah. apparently that has definitely cooled over a whole lot and they're both kind of okay now but like um mm-hmm. go ahead go ahead go ahead it's it's just a little weird that like when you look at it through that lens and you kind of go back and look at the time and a lot of this there's a really interesting article in palmer i'll send you the link to it um, yeah so people can check it out for themselves so i'll send you that one and then there's a great one that's an interview that tarantino did with the new york times the year before discussing his relationship with harvey weinstein mm-hmm. i'll send you that mm-hmm. as well um but it feels, when viewed through that lens, that Tarantino's trying to absolve himself of everything that happened between him and Thurman and Kill Bill by making this movie. 
It seems a little spiteful, honestly. Well, it's it's him. Seems a little petty. It's not it's not petty though. Like it's 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 almost like he's trying to like he rewrite his, the wrongs. The per- well, the portrayal of him would be through Stuntman Mike. So having right. Stuntman Mike get his comeuppance at the end and get killed by these women. Oh, so he would be Stuntman yeah. Mike. Okay. Um, so eh. it's, it's really weird to look at it through that lens. Um, the, other, the only other weird thing, and this on top of it is a really questionable choice that's why it's left in the, as to why it was left in the movie, is when the girls ditch Lee to yes. take the car for a ride, say that she's shooting a porno, yeah. uh, and leave her there while she's asleep and she wakes up just in time to see them all driving away and all she says is gulp um, and the guy's leering over her and apparently this uh when they were doing a uh like press junket for it uh-huh. uh rose mcgowan and rosario dawson both objected to this um it was one of the first things that they brought up that they did not like about making this movie that was honestly one of the things that did not sit well with me i don't understand why they couldn't have wrapped that up like could they not go pick her back up yeah you never or, see her again know. it's really weird it was really weird, and it seemed like there was really no point to it. Yeah, yeah it's one of those things I feel like he thought was funny and missed the mark a little bit. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it, I'm, I'd actually like to read. That's the one thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way about Tarantino is just how close. Because he and Weinstein used to be like pretty good friends. Yeah, uh, and yeah. That's, I mean, it was very much a father-son relationship between the two of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it was like one of those situations, like that. That that's probably if if anything rubs me the wrong way about Tarantino, it's that because yeah. he had to have known what was going on, and so he actually absolutely. did. Uh, he he did say that uh, it wasn't just him that knew or heard these stories, but everybody had kind of heard these stories. Um, he said, "quote unquote," what I did was marginalize the incidents. Anything I say now will sound like a crappy excuse. It is a crappy yeah. excuse. Sorry. Well, but no, like, like, and this this is in the interview that he did uh, towards the end of 2017, which I'll send to you. Yeah. Um, like he owns up to like, I should have done something, but he didn't. And and I. But he's saying I didn't, and and he's like I should have done something, but everybody should have done no, something. No, no, it, nobody it, did it wasn't, anything. It wasn't even so much that he was talking about other people. Like he he was saying that like everybody was hearing these stories and nobody bought into them. And that's really the only thing I'm going to say about other people not doing anything. The rest of the interview is him talking about kind of okay. his reaction. Yeah, to I'll it. have to read it. And, and mostly see what was just, just yeah, I'll have to read. The yeah, article I'll, I'll send the article over and we can post that in the um, description because it is a really interesting interview that he gives on it, and it does he does close it out talking about uh, his own culpability while like around this uh, I guess 2015 or so. Um, kind of when all this stuff started to really break is when he uh, started becoming a big advocate uh, for like sweeping change in Hollywood's treatment of women. Of course, he and did because did it was eventually... the Me Too movement. He had to. <laughs> yeah, but he, right? he also did. He also Welcome did condemn. Welcome to finally being a fucking decent person. Uh, he also did condemn Harvey Weinstein um, while acknowledging their, you know, relationship being what it was, um, and talks a little bit about just how difficult it was when you know this is the guy that financed all of his movies and. Oh, kind of help kind of help give him the opportunity to become the person he is and then see that Harvey Weinstein's a fucking monster. Oh, so it's terrible for him. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't care at all. Uh, this is why we keep you around, Alex. <laughs> so that when, I don't got a lot to say about cars, but I do have some shit to say about that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
We have any final uh, points we want to make about this movie? I got nothing. Yeah, no, I think we, I think. No, I just think this is a great fun yeah, movie. Yeah, I think we uh, we covered this one about as much as we could. So uh, that wraps it up. What are we uh, What are we rating this out of? Matchbox cars. Matchbox cars that we shove in our butts. Perfect. Butt cars. Butt cars. <laughs> what was it? Uh, uh, Jackass Two, right? Where they shoved it in the con the car in the condom yep. and then put it up their butts. Yep. And then put it up his yeah. ass. Yeah. And then you have to go get How an X-ray. How many Jackass Twos are we giving this? Stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> he does his own stunts. Uh, I'm gonna leave this one off. I do. Uh, uh, probably like a three two five. Ooh. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna give this uh, three point seven five cars shoved up. I guess my butt. <laughs> Whose butt? <laughs> butt cars. Three point seven five butt cars for you, Alex. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. give this a uh, four. A four. A four. Well, guys, I'm gonna insert four whole Matchbox cars up my butt. Up your butt. Two weeks in a row. Quarantine's the magic thing. Three point six 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 Man, what a great movie to end on. Honestly, this whole month yeah. has been has been a lot of fun and and i told this to sam i can't remember if i said this to you alex or not but you guys had a good episode when i was away you made the craft oh, fun to you. listen to <laughs> did it make you want to rewatch it no <laughs> i got a well, i got it about as much as i needed to out of the, out of the podcast <laughs> Um, did you hear when Sam said he wanted to be a chipmunk? Yes, I did. I did. Although I couldn't think of people... anything, and I just remembered seeing a chipmunk in my backyard like the day or two before. Yeah. <sighs> Apparently, a lot of people really like love that movie. Uh, we had a lot of feedback about that episode. Um, yeah, because it's a fucking good movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad everybody thinks so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, man, that wraps it up. It's time for the housekeeping. Uh, as per usual, you can follow us on all the social medias at Terror and Podnito. Uh, you can follow us individually. I'm Palmer at Sturmsworth. I'm Alex at A Looters. And I'm Sam at San Heaps. Um, we're jumping into April next week. We're making an entire month of 420 friendly horror. We haven't decided on the content yet, but it's going to be dope. It's going to be tough. Tim, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, um, keep in mind, we're just we're debuting our, our first single, uh, Sparks Between Chief, as soon as the podcast is wrapped up. So stick around if you want to check that out. If you don't, totally understand. It, it makes sense. We're just never going to consider you a fan of anything we ever do ever again. Um, sorry. It's just the way it is. So bye. So take care. <laughs> uh, we will, once we get a full list of everything that we're going to do for next month, I will do my my collage post and get it up there so everybody knows what what y'all can look forward to but in the meantime stay safe make sure that you're staying quarantined you're keeping to yourselves if your elderly neighbor needs something you're buying it for them and dropping it off their doorstep and keep uh, washing your hands yeah and your ass and um, especially if you're inserting small cars in your butt honestly just you know know this is just it's you've heard it from a million other people but this is super contagious and let's do our best to to get it to go away so we can stop having movies delayed because i'm selfish and want to see movies (laughs) (laughs) alex wants movie theater popcorn i do i really do all right everybody stay tuned for sparks between teeth we love you take care Thank you.